Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. We're continuing our series called The Return. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. If you were here last week, uh, you remember me saying that, um, you know, people throughout the years, I mean, literally centuries, have been uh, picking dates and moments when they believe that Jesus is going to return. Um, and that's been happening since, you know, the first century. And of course, in every situation, they've been wrong, even though they've been sincerely convinced uh, of when the, re- when the return of Christ is going to happen. And, and then on top of that, it seems like that, uh, you know, all that speculation added with it, the people who seem to, the only people who really seem to talk about the return of Christ, have, it seems like they've, they've fallen out of the crazy tree and hit every branch on the way down to the ground. And, and so, you know, because everyone's wrong about it anyway, and because the people who do talk about it seem like they're, they're a little bit cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, we just, uh, we just stay silent which is a stark contrast uh, from what the scriptures uh, are are saying. Because in the New Testament, if you are here last week, you heard me say the New Testament speaks quite a bit. I mean, the teaching about the second coming of Christ is front and center uh, in in the New Testament. 27 books in the New Testament, 25 of them reference the the return of Jesus Christ. So it's time we had a conversation about the return of Christ. And so in these these weeks in June, uh, that's going to be our focus and um, so if you've got a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to be there in a, in a little bit, and we'll talk more about uh, from Jesus' perspective. That's, that's where we're going. From Jesus' perspective in the book of Matthew, we'll be talking about the return. Um, March 20th, 1980, there was a 4.2 earthquake underneath uh, a mountain, underneath Mount St. Helens. Um, and the, the United States Geological Service, located in Vancouver, picked up this earthquake and then um, wondered if this was an earthquake, because it was right underneath the mountain, if this was an earthquake that, uh, that, that well, kind of gave the sign, the signal that Mount St. Helens was, uh, was, a, was a dormant volcano that was coming back to life again. Was it waking up? Um, their suspicions were confirmed uh, five days later, March 25, and then also March 26 and 27. There were three earthquakes, each, each day one earthquake, each one 4.0 on the Richter scale and, and directly underneath the mountain. Um, and, and then the, that last earthquake, March 27th, opened two fissures on, Mar- on, on the top of the mountain and, and, and steam and ash shot up into the air 6,000 feet. Which, which to the USGS was all the signals that you would need to declare a hazard watch uh, because of, it seems like a volcano is going to erupt. Uh, so uh, the USGS did that very thing. Uh, they, uh, they set this hazard watch in place. In fact, in April of 1980, this, this bulge began to grow on the mountain. Uh, some of you may remember that news, that uh, it was growing in width. It was like getting thicker five feet each day. It was growing, this bulge. And so the hazard watch is out. You've got, um, the, you've got law enforcement that is going home by home all around the mountain. They've, they've created this sort of this perimeter of uh, this is a, the safe zone. Anything inside of that is, is not safe. And so they're knocking on doors and they're getting people to evacuate. And, uh, and they're having great success until they meet a gentleman by the name of Harry Truman. Uh, Truman, not the president Harry Truman, but Truman, uh, Harry Truman uh, was this, 
I mean, he was as chiseled as the bark on, 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 a, on a fir tree. He, uh, he lived on, uh, on Coca-Colas that were heavily seasoned with whiskey. Um, and he was, he was defiant. He was made for primetime TV, and he was not going to move. Uh, he told law enforcement, I've lived here all my life, and I'm far enough away from that mountain. He lived a mile away from the mountain. Uh, I live far enough away from that mountain, and, uh, and there's all this heavy timber. I'm protected. And when that mountain blows, I'm going to sit on my rocking chair on my front porch, and I'm just going to watch it. Um, and, of course, uh, the USGS and the law enforcement try to tell them that, you know, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Um, you, you really are you're in the danger zone. And uh, Truman was the, you know, he was the proverbial farmer who's been told that there's a freeway being built through your property. And so he's this proverbial farmer who's sitting on the front porch with his shotgun cradled in his arms, just daring the bulldozer to come. But in this case, it's not a bulldozer. It's a mountain. Um, and it is going to come his, his way. Uh, he, uh, again, he's, he's saying, I'm, I'm just going to watch this volcano. And of course, on May 18th, 1980, um, Mount St. Helens, uh, there's, there's a, a 5.1 earthquake on Mount St. Helens, causes a landslide. And the mountain first blows sideways before it blows vertically. And it blows sideways, and it comes right at Harry Truman, whose home is there on Spirit Lake. Scientists tell us, even though Harry Truman said, I was, gonna, I was just going to sit on my porch and watch it, scientists tell us that Truman probably had enough time to turn his head to see the mountain coming at him that he used to live in the shadow of. Um, and it just, it just entombed him. Now, uh, you know, all the experts were saying the signs all point to an eruption. And uh, they're trying to get Truman, they're trying to get others to pay attention. And I just want to say from the very beginning of my talk today, as we talk about the return of Christ, half the work of paying attention is knowing what to pay attention to. Let me say it again. Half of the work of paying attention is knowing what to pay attention to. And in, in Harry Truman's case, you know, an occasional earthquake around the mountain, that's no big deal. But, you know, when, when USGS is actually picking up the rhythmic pulses of magma moving beneath the mountain and you're seeing the mountain swell and you got all the classic signs that, a, that an eruption is imminent, um, it, it, the right response would have been to listen. The USGS, it's their job to pay attention to things like this. So... For us, as we talk about the return, and today what I want to do is I want to talk about the signs or the signals that Jesus gave his disciples and gives us as his disciples, the signs and signals that point to his return, the half of the work of paying attention is knowing what to pay attention to. So I just want to dive in and pick up the story in, in Matthew 24. Uh, I know many of you are already there. If, if you're not, you're, and you, maybe you didn't bring a Bible, or you, maybe you don't know how to navigate your way around the Bible, um, maybe that even makes you feel a little bit embarrassed. That, that's okay. There's a book, a Bible like this one. Look, it's in the P-Rack in front of you. You go to page 1,558, you'll find Matthew 24, and all the people around you will be impressed that you know where that's at in the Bible. Um, there's no shame in not knowing where it's at. we just love to have you follow along. Let me just pick up the story. Verse one, the big two and the four there. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. 
But he responded, do you see all these buildings? I'll tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the mountain, the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Two questions that they're asking here. One question is, when, when is all this going to happen? When's the temple going to be destroyed? All these buildings going to be knocked down like Jesus is saying. And the second question is, when's the return? And so, you know, most theologians will tell you as they work through Matthew chapter 24, some of these things are directly connected to the temple destruction, which did happen uh, just less than 40 years from when, when Jesus did say that. Uh, some of the signs are, are about that, and the other signs are about his return. And so those are the ones I want to focus on this morning, and I just want to sh- just show you the signals, uh, because half the work of paying attention is knowing what to pay attention to. So we're just going to march right through them. Verse 4, we'll put the signs up here on the screen behind me. Uh, first one is this. Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. So first sign is false messiahs. Now, I just did a little work for us to kind of see over time how many people in, in, in blocks of time have claimed to be Jesus or the Son of God. And you go from Jesus' ascension at 33 AD and you, and you take it to current time. In the last 500 plus years, we've got 31 people that have been running around saying that they were Jesus. So you can see that there, there is that increase. So that's, that's sign number one. Sign number two, uh, we'll just keep reading here and you'll pick that up. It says, verse 6 Uh, You will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So, here's the second sign, wars and threats of wars. First one, false messiahs. Here's the chart over history since Jesus' ascension. You can see a dramatic increase in the last 500 uh, plus years uh, up up to current date. Then Jesus goes to sign number three. Uh, there will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. So we got false messiahs, wars and threats of war, and famines and earthquakes. And again, let's do a quick little chart. You can see uh, these are the big ones, uh, earthquakes that have taken 1,000-plus lives. Uh, some of these have happened in our own, in our own lifetime, uh, but there's an increase in, in earthquakes. Now, Jesus stops right here, and in verse 8, he inserts a little comment that's important to notice. Verse 8, it says... But all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Now, let me just explain this to you. Uh, Trina and I have four kids. uh, And when Trina was pregnant with our first child, uh, Bethany, um, she would have these contractions that weren't like the kind of contractions that you have when you're actually giving birth. There's a name for them. They're called Braxton Hicks. Um, And your, your womb just gets really tight and there's a huge difference, and you know, one of the reasons you can, you can tell the difference is because when Trina would have these contractions, she would talk to me, and, and she would you know, you know, say, you know, touch, touch me right here, and I could feel how tight it was, and, um, and she, we would have a conversation, and she'd smile. She'd have dinner when she was having these contractions, and that's um, very different from regular labor, because here she's smiling and talking. Over here, she has the look of a serial killer. When she's going, you know, she's got the contractions. She's looking at me like, you did this to me, and she wants to hurt me, and there's a huge difference, okay? 
the women who have had kids say, yes, there is. There is a huge difference. Um, and so what Jesus is doing here in this list of signs, he's saying, look, false messiahs, that's going to happen. Wars, there's going to be increase of wars and threats of wars. And there's going to be famines and earthquakes all, all global. Um, and these are just the birth pain. This is Braxton Hicks stuff, okay? It, it, just to help you, you know, Braxton Hicks, Baskin Robbins, don't confuse them. Baskin Robbins, good. Braxton Hicks, you know, it's kind of the building up of, it's not the same thing. It, it's just... Something is happening. It's pointing to something. And so Jesus is saying these first three are, are the pointing to, they're just the, birth, the initial birth pains, but uh, things are going to escalate. Verse 9, then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. So next, well, next sign here is persecution. Is increased persecution. And uh, the, the denying and betraying is likely connected to the persecution because now there is a cost in being associated with Christ. And, and can we just not note and, and, and notice that in our world today, there has been an increase in persecution. You hear the news stories of ISIS and the brutality that's being, uh, that's being committed uh, in, in certain parts of the Middle East. And we, we hear more of this, of this persecution um, and then we pick up sign number six, verse 12. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. Um, so th- that's another sign. Rampant sin and love grows cold. And then verse 14, uh, it says, And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. So the seventh sign here is global gospel proclamation. And what you should know is about our movement called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. This verse, Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, was actually a verse in the late 1800s that, that propelled, uh, inspired uh, the beginnings of our movement to send people all around the globe to tell others about Jesus. Because the thought was that when the gospel gets to the ends of the world, when all peoples are reached, what that does is it paves the way for Christ to come back. For the return. And so there are our signs that Jesus gives that point to his return. Now, note this Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 says, No one knows the day or the hour. Jesus just doesn't stop there and say, Yeah, you know, no one knows the day or the hour, just don't worry about it, don't, don't think about it. And that's not what he's saying. Nobody knows the day or the hour, and probably the reason that God doesn't tell us the day or the hour is because we'll just, we just like all, like, live however we want and procrastinate in the last second we try and get ready, right? So but we don't know the date or hour, but there are signals that you should pay attention to. And half the work of paying attention is knowing what to pay attention to. So it's important that you recognize these signals. Now, why the signs? Why does Jesus give the, the, these, these signals? Well, first of all, so you know what time it is, all right? So you, in fact, if you go a little bit towards the end of Matthew chapter 24, verse 32, Jesus gives like a little mini parable. And he says, now, learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and, it leaves, and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return is very near, right at the door. So what Jesus is saying when these signals are, are, you can observe them, then what you need to know is that the return is near. 
And, uh, and, and then he adds a little emphasis. He says, it's not only near, Jesus is right at the door. So you need to know what time it is. And that's why you have the signs. And again, let me just say, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure for a lot of periods of history, people have looked and they've seen signs and it seemed like, man, this, the table's all set and, and still time went on. Um, you know, we'll, we'll look at next week. We'll, we'll hear that you know, it, he'll come when we least expect it. Um, but you can look at the signs again today, the signals today. And you can say, man, the table sure seems to be set. Um, and we need to be aware that, uh, that Jesus is, in fact, coming soon. So first of all, I need to know what time it is. Here's the second reason why the signs. So you'll know how to respond when you see them. Let me just stop here and just say, you know, I think sometimes we talk about end times, we talk about the return of Christ. Some, some people go to the place of fear. Like, oh, this is, this is all so scary. And, and I don't think Jesus wants to, us to go to a place of fear. In fact, in the New Testament, where the church, the early church would go, is they go to a place of hope and encouragement. That, um, that the idea that Jesus was returning was something that encouraged them. They were excited about the return of Christ. And I, let me just say to you, if, if you're not excited about the return of Christ, if you're not looking forward to, see, to, to, to seeing Jesus, that could be a problem. I mean, it, could be a, it should be a problem for you. You should be excited. The fact that you're going to see Jesus face to face. And, you know, no more tears, no more pain, no more that, that, that stuff that's associated with the consequences of sin. We get to be with him forever. And that should encourage us. That should give us hope. And I, I will say, though, when it comes to fear, if you are not in right relationship with God, then this would be one of those huge signals for you that, look, God wants you to be in relationship and friendship with him. He's made it possible for you to be reconciled uh, to Christ. And so what you should pay attention to is how do, I, how, do I get, how do I make myself right with God? And God has made that path possible through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. So even a little bit later in the service, you're going to have the opportunity to, to, to do that very thing. But really, the, the knowing how to respond, this is not about, you know, like, we've got, we got to all be afraid and scared and, you know, and, and be in despair. No, that's not the point. The point is to encourage you and to give you hope. So I just want to break up just three practical things that Jesus gives us. He gives all these signs and signals about his return. Here's three practical things that you could do in light of the fact that the table appears to be set and all the signs are pointing to an imminent return. Just like all the signs at Mount St. Helens pointed to an imminent eruption, all the signs are pointing to the imminent return of Christ. And so what we want to do is pay attention to the things we need to pay attention to. So here's how we can respond. First response is to ignore those who claim to be Jesus. Now that may seem really basic. Verse five, chapter 24, Jesus says, don't let anyone mislead you for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. Seems pretty straightforward, but let me just flesh it out a little bit because there's, there's some things you need to know. Verse 23 uh, says this. Then if anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. See, I have warned you about this ahead of time. It's not just that there are going to be false messiahs who are going to say that they're Jesus and that they're the Son of God. They're actually going to perform miracles. 
There are going to be signs and wonders. Now, there's a, there's a, re, a significant reality to the spiritual realm. And uh, you know, there, there's the evil one, the enemy of our soul, the enemy of the church, Satan, and there, and there is our Savior, Jesus. And, uh, and so you need to know that one of the things that you, that, that's going to happen towards the end is you're going to have these false messiahs. And it's not that they're just going to say it. There's actually going to be miracles performed, signs and wonders, and people are going to go, says he's Jesus, does miracles like Jesus, must be Jesus. And so what I'm just trying to, to let you know is that it's not Jesus. And Jesus even goes a little bit farther in verse 27 and says, so if someone tells you, look, the Messiah is out in the desert, don't bother to go and look, or look, he's hiding here, don't believe it. For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. Well, what in the world does that mean? But what it means is, Jesus' first coming was a localized arrival, Bethlehem. Very few people knew the Messiah had come. Just, just a few. Shepherds, you got some, some uh, folks who are watching the stars. Uh, a very small group of people knew the Messiah had come. It was a localized event. His second coming will be a global event. The trumpet will be blown as lightning flashes in the east as seen to the west means that everybody will know that Jesus has returned. So what Jesus is saying, if you hear someone's in the desert and they're performing miracles and they say they're Jesus, friends, it's not Jesus. And Jesus is telling us right up front, you're not going to miss this one. <laughs> Pretty big deal. Um, and everyone's going to know it. It will be not a localized event. It will be a global event. So that's why I think the first way to respond is just simply by saying, ignore those who claim to be Jesus because half the work of paying attention is knowing what to pay attention to and don't, uh, don't pay attention to these guys. Second thing I want you to know and how to respond is this. Keep your heart hot. One of the, of the signs, the signals, is rampant sin and love will grow cold. Now, I, I do think Jesus is talking about our world, but I think he's also talking about the church. Because if you remember, in the book of Revelation, he, he talks to Ephesus, the Ephesian church, and says, you've left your first love. He writes a letter to the Laodicean church and says, your love is lukewarm. So one of the ways for us to respond in knowing what time it is, is to respond with keeping our hearts hot for Christ. Picture an oven, it's got all the knobs on the front, and you know, some of those knobs, they got numbers on them that sort of give you a sense of the, the, how hot the, the element is on the, on the stove. It'd be one through 10, some of them are. Uh, if you keep it on one, the, you know, it's just sort of a simmer, it's very, very kind of just, it's kind of warm, but put it on 10, and that element just lights up, you have an orange red, you can feel the heat, and you can back up and feel the heat, you can heat the kitchen, you know, put them all on 10. Um, it's really hot. Here's my question for you. This is not a question for your wife. It's not a question for your husband. It's for you. If your heart has a dial on it from one to 10, what's it set on today? Is it a four? Is it an eight? How hot is your heart? This would be a great conversation to have at the dinner table. To just have others speak to you and say, no, talk to me about my heart. My heart. What, do you, what do you think the dial's on? What do you see? 
Or maybe with a trusted friend and over a cup of coffee. You know me. What do you you see in my heart? Where's it set? Because one of the signals is the love of many will grow cold. And so one of the very practical ways that we can respond is to keep our hearts hot. And what's happening in our culture today is that love is becoming very focused on self. Paul says this in a letter to Timothy. He says, in the last days, there'll be people who are lovers of self and lovers of pleasure. We're very self-focused. We're the first generation in the history of the world that has pages that are made public that are dedicated to talking about ourself. Right? I'm not saying that that, that's wrong. I'm just saying, where, where where is your first love? Is your first love Christ? And is your heart hot? Because one of the signs when Jesus returns is the love of many will grow cold. Last thing, way to respond, I would say, is this, endure. Endure. You know, I, I don't know what, what persecution might look for, like for us is, is if things were to, to get worse. I'm not saying they're gonna get worse, so don't, don't panic there. Remember, we're not landing in a place of fear. But, you know, there, there is persecution, and what, what persecution does is it exposes the motives for, for your reason in following Christ. Did you get into this relation? Were you motivated to get into this friendship with God because you, you bought into this idea that life goes better with Jesus? Because here's what's gonna happen. The moment life doesn't go better with Jesus, you're gonna be out. But if you got into this because you are convinced that Jesus Christ is the son of God and you're convinced that he is the author of life and he is the sustainer of life and he truly brings with him the gift of eternal life, then then you'll endure momentary trouble for the fact that there will be an eternal bliss and joy with him forever and ever. Because you'll be going home. But when the difficulty comes, the response for us is to endure. To expect it, to know about it. And if it doesn't come in our lifetime, awesome. Um, But don't be surprised by it. So, a practical way to respond, ignore the false claims of messiahs, um, keep your heart hot, and endure, persevere. March 17th, 1994, significant date in our family. Um, I was in the backyard, uh, it's 5.45 in the afternoon, I got wheelbarrows full of manure, and I'm rolling the wheelbarrows over to blueberry bushes and, and putting them around as fertilizer. So I'm rolling, I'm rolling wheelbarrows, and I'm, I'm, I'm rolling it past the, um, the sliding glass door, and I'm looking in the sliding glass door, because at the dinner table is my wife, Trina. She's, she's nine months pregnant with our, our, our youngest uh, child, Cal, um, and she's, she's having supper there. And so I'm rolling by, and I look, and I smile, and she smiles back, and then I go back, I get another load of manure, and, um, and I come walking back, and I look in the sliding glass door, and, you know, there's Trina, and she's, you know, sitting there, and uh, I smile, and she smiles back, and I'm doing that back and forth, and I get like a third or fourth time, and I come by the window, I look in, and she's not there. And, but the, the bowl is still there at the table. So I, I just hear this voice, check on her. So I you know, put the wheelbarrow down, and I go in. I take off my boots, and I go in the house, and I find her. She's curled up 
uh, on our bed in a kind of the fetal position, and she is just like in intense pain. And so I say to her, um, uh, it, you're in labor. We need to get you to the hospital. And she says, no, nah, this is different. This is not labor. I, I think it just might be gas pains. So full disclosure, I've never had gas like that. Um, <laughs> I've, you know, curled up at a ball and like, I just, I'm going, I don't know, something just doesn't feel right about this. So I pick up the phone and I, and I call her mom and say, hey, I think Trina's in labor. I need to get her to the hospital. Um, can you come watch the kids? And she's actually a little bit away from the home and she says, well, I'm probably an hour out. Um, so if you want me, I'll still come. Um, and I said, no, nah, I think I'll call someone else. So I called a, a friend named Tanya. She lives five minutes away. Um, I, I, I call her, and uh, she says, I'll be there in five minutes. And she's actually there in four minutes. She shows up. She's watching our kids. I get Trina in the van, and I'm driving her to the hospital. Now, it's about a five-minute drive to the hospital. We're close. And uh, so we're driving the roads, and she says to me, as she's in pain in the passenger seat in the front, she says, Steve, you've got to pray for me. So, I mean, I'm holding the steering wheel. I'm saying, you know, dear Jesus, please be a Trina right now. She's in labor, and, um, and she's enduring this pain. And then, and then Trina just butts in, and she interrupts me. And she says, pray louder. <laughs> um, so I'm like, dear Jesus, please save me from this woman. Uh, she's going to kill me. Uh, and I, I'm praying louder, and uh, we... we Pulling out the parking lot at the hospital, and uh, you know, I park the van and as close as I can the front door, and I run around and I open her door and I get her out of the van, and we get about 15 paces, and then the contractions they come in and they hit her like a cement truck, and she is just in pain in the parking lot, and we pause there, waiting for the contractions to subside, and they do, and then we make it into the lobby, and you know, the doors open, and I'm, there's nobody in the lobby except this one guy. He's a volunteer. He's an, an elderly guy, a volunteer at the hospital. He's sitting behind this desk. And I, I said to him rather loudly, I said, um, we need a wheelchair. Um, and he just sort of pauses and looks down the hallway and goes, well, there went the last one. Um, and right when he said that, Trina said, the baby's coming out. And I turned back to her <laughs> and said, put it back in. Because <laughs> I was not ready for this. <laughs> This is way beyond what I was expecting. She gives me the look. Uh, so, I, okay, so I walk over, and I, I kind of assess the situation. There's nobody. The, the guy, at the volunteer, he's now under his desk. There's nobody else in the lobby. So I, I see a, a love seat, kind of couch thing, and I pick up Trina, and I go put her on the love seat, um, and um, I... You know, I'll spare you all the gory details, but in, in, in a short amount of time, I am delivering my youngest son, Cal, and putting him on Trina's chest. Um, and it just, as, at that moment, then doctors and nurses are running around the, the corner, and they're showing up in the lobby, and, um, and, and one of them is a friend of ours, a nurse is a friend of ours, she actually went to our church when we went to church there in Hood River. Um, and her name is Jan, and they're, you know, they're taking care of Trina's in shock, um, and, uh, and Cal was from when track, contractions began when they ended, I think, I think labor was like 26 minutes or 27 minutes or something like that, so he's like one giant bruise, and um, so Jan's there, she's kind of making sure everything's okay, and I, I said to Jan in the moment, this better be the cheapest doctor bill I've ever gotten. 
Because <laughs> I am like, my heart is pounding, and uh, she says, we're going to have to pay for the couch. And <laughs> uh, true story, uh, five, not like that any of them are false, but tr this true story of... Uh, Five years later, my sister is pregnant, and she lives in she was living in Hood River at the time, and they're doing this orientation, and they're in the the, the lobby there, and the the person doing the orientation says, "Now here's the deal: if if you're in labor, do not come to the lobby." There was this guy, uh, and they're just talking about the guy who came, and uh, she says, "She's well, that was my brother." Uh, the reason I tell you that story is, you know, I, Cal was the fourth of, of our kids. And by the way, media showed up. Here's an article in the paper the next day. Baby Callum just wouldn't wait. Uh, some of the story there. Um, and then here's a picture of our, our kids, uh, three of our kids holding Cal. Um, Cal's actually sitting over there. Um, he's, sorry, I owe you a milkshake. I didn't tell you I was telling the story, dude. Uh, <laughs> Um, I don't have a picture of Trina because she wasn't smiling yet, but the kids were, <laughs> she, she's still in shock. Um, the reason I'm telling the story is because when all the other three kids were, were being delivered, I just, there's something about the delivery just fascinated me, and I was just paying attention. I was noticing what the docs were doing, what the doctors were doing. Not ever even imagining of what would be called out of me one day. That I actually... Would, would deliver to one of my own kids. Half of the work of paying attention is no one to pay attention to. And I had no idea what was being called out of me years down the road. Friends, can I just say this to you? Half of the work of paying attention in regards to the return of Christ is knowing what to pay attention to. We can get all obsessed about who the Antichrist is because it's always the Pope or the President we don't like. <laughs> right? It's just how it goes. We can get all obsessed about rapture and timing of that, and we, we can do that, but I mean, that, I'm not saying you, it's, it's wrong to think about those things. I'm not I'm saying that, but I think what we should probably pay attention to is the stuff that Jesus said about the signs and the signals, and to land in a place of hope and courage, and don't fall for the false messiahs. I mean, and keep your heart hot and endure even in difficulty. Because half the work of paying attention is knowing what to pay attention to. And if we pay attention to the right things, what will happen is, I, see, I don't think there's a person in this room who doesn't want to hear from Jesus, well done, good and faithful service, servant. Well done. And I think part of hearing the well done is knowing what to pay attention to. Not so that we're scared of fear or so you know, that we'll just you know, panic. No, it's, it's so that we will be a prepared and ready people. And we'll talk more about that next week. Let's just pray to that end. Lord, thank you that you're coming back. Um, man, just, just thank you that you are um, you're coming to get your family. And so I just pray that that's not a day that we need to dread. That's a day that we can look forward to with anticipation. So I just pray that you would give us eyes to see what you want us to see, ears to hear what you want us to hear. I just bless your church with hot hearts. I mean, just turn the temperature up in us, Lord. Make us thirsty for you. 
May we come to you and drink. Forgive us for coming to so many other things to try and satisfy the thirst of our souls. We, we purpose to come to you. So heat up our hearts, Holy Spirit. And, and Lord, strengthen us to endure when life gets difficult. May we be a people who, and it's not even difficulty just in persecution, it's difficulty in circumstances. There are people in the room who are going through tough times. May they endure and persevere. And that builds character. Character produces hope. So produce hope in us, I pray, Lord, as we wait for your return. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.